Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we conclude our Wednesday evening series entitled God Can Use Anyone. In this series, we have learned that it does not matter your circumstance, you can still be used by God. And now, lead Pastor Rex Johnson. talk to you tonight about the super judge. Say the super judge. Thank you, Brother Gerwin. Let's give Brother Gerwin a good hand. That's one of my favorite people right there. I love you, buddy. I love you, Gerwin. Gerwin, it might get draggy tonight. I might need you. Just just wait on me down here, okay? Okay, you got my back, okay. Gerwin can put a, he can put some spears in this thing. You ever heard this? Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. Look, up in the air, it's a bird, it's a plane. It's Superman, Superman. A visitor from a strange planet endowed with powers and abilities beyond those of mortal men. Superman. How many used to see that when you was a kid on TV? Some of you don't even know what being a kid on TV is about. But. Superman, who disguises Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter of the Daily Planet, wages a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way. I think I could have made that announcement. George Reeves was one of the original actors who portrayed Superman on TV, and every time he donned that Superman suit in public, there were people who would come up and kick him in the shins, and they'd hit him in the back with their fists, and otherwise they would assault him. His young admirers didn't mean to harm him, really. They really didn't. They were just eager to prove that He was a real strong man of steel. This was their idol. One afternoon in Detroit, way back in 1953, his costume nearly cost him his life. He was making an appearance at a department store when a young fan pulled out his father's loaded 45 caliber army coat and pointed directly at Reeves' chest. Miraculously, Reeves talked the lad into putting it down, assuring the boy that Superman could stand the force of the shot. But when the bullets bounce off my chest, they might hurt you and others around you. And the boy thought, you know, that's true, so I better not shoot Superman. (laughs) A little crazy, isn't it? To think that just an appearance of George Reeves in his Superman costume would elicit such a response from people. But there was something about that suit that set Reeves apart. It had a big S on the front of it. And if he'd walked into a department store simply wearing a business suit or a shirt, plain shirt, He might have been mobbed by his fans, but I doubt they would have hit him or pointed a gun at him because then he would be Clark Kent. It was the suit that set him apart. It was that suit that stood for truth and justice in the American way. It was a suit that struck fear in the hearts of evildoers. And it was a suit that created hope in the hearts of the downtrodden. The suit set him apart. He was a visitor from another planet. He was endowed with powers and abilities. He had only one problem. He was bothered by kryptonite but just a second he was fictionous he wasn't real he existed only in the lands of television movies and comic books but years ago there lived a real superman born in a little smallville town known as zora say zora with me he may not have been faster than a speeding bullet more powerful than a locomotive able to install buildings in a single bound but i suspect he could have bent steel with his bare hands his name was Samson. 
Just an example of how powerful Samson was in Judges chapter 14. Samson went down with his father and his mother to Timnah. And in the vineyards of Timnah, the young lion roared against him. And the Bible said, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion asunder as, a, as, he, as you would tear a kid with his bare hands. But he told no one that it had happened. He came to Lehi. And the Philistines came shouting at him. And the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the ropes that had been on him, on his arms, became as flax that was caught, had caught fire. And the bonds just melted off of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, of an ass, and put it in his hand and seized it. And with it he slew 1,000 men. In Judges chapter 16, the Gazites were told Samson was come here. And they surrounded the place that he lay in wait for him all night at the gates of the city. And they kept quiet that night saying, let's wait till morning, then we'll kill him. But Samson at midnight arose and took a hold of the doors of the gate of the city. They weighed about seven tons, 14,000 pounds. And the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulder and carried them up to the top of the hill before Hebron. Samson killed a lion with his bare hands. He wiped out a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. And he uprooted the city gate, carrying it nearly 40 miles away. Samson was not someone you messed with. As Jim Croce used to sing, you don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit into the wind. You don't pull the mask off the old Lone Ranger. And you don't mess around with Samson. <laughs> he didn't sing that, but he said... I added that. The Philistines feared him. The Israelites adored him. And everybody knew who he was. And just like Superman in his cape, Samson had one thing that set him apart from mortal men, one distinctive mark, one unique characteristic that even to this day identifies Samson as a superhero. And you know what it was? It was his long hair. He had him some hair. He had him some hair back yonder. He really did. Samson's long hair was a mark of his vow to God. And from the date of his birth till something, sometime just before his death, he never cut his hair. Can you imagine how long that hair must have been? Patty and I, when we first got married on our honeymoon, went and saw the singer Crystal Gale. Anybody ever seen Crystal Gale's hair? Her hair is one inch off the floor with her heels on. Her hair was to the floor. She made a big deal out of it, saying she just trimmed it so it would keep off the floor. She had been growing that hair all of her life. Samson's hair was an outward mark of his Nazarite vow. In Numbers chapter 6, verse 2, I won't read it, but the Nazarite was required to observe the following guidelines. Here they were. He was never to cut his hair. Say amen to that. He was never to drink alcoholic beverages. Say amen to that. And he was never to touch a corpse, a dead human body. And as long as he observed these regulations, he was holy unto the Lord. Samson was committed to those rules even before he was born. As far as I could tell, Samson really never broke any of those rules, although he did walk through a vineyard and he did touch a dead lion. He didn't touch a dead human. He had other problems in his life, other sins, but he never broke those rules. Now, what was distinctive about Samson, he was the only Nazarite ever endowed with superhuman strength because of his vow to the Lord. The prophet Samuel was a lifelong Nazarite. Did you know that? Samuel was a lifelong Nazarite. Others believe John the Baptist was a lifelong Nazarite.
but neither of them had the gift of strength that Samson had. Samson was unique, distinctive, special, and I think there was a reason for that. I believe Israel needed at that time a hero like Samson. Everybody say, everybody needs a hero. That's why we come worship Jesus Christ every time we get a chance. Everybody needs a hero. Aren't you glad we have one today? Aren't you glad there's a hero in our life? Everybody needs a hero, a superhuman hero. We need heroes that can do things that other people can't do. We need heroes that can touch us when nobody can touch us. We need heroes that will deliver us out of dilemmas when nobody else can. We need heroes that will take us to places we've never gone before. We need heroes in our life. And the Lord Jesus Christ is that hero. Look at Judges 13 and 1 when you get on the first verse of the chapter. God sets the stage for the reason he's creating a hero like Samson. Again, the Israelites, the Bible said, did evil in the sight of the Lord. You see in the book of Judges, folks, the Israelites, here's what happened. They would do evil, 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 evil. And then God would say, I'm tired of that. So I'm going to put you into bondage and captivity with somebody. And then when he put him in bondage and captivity, they start crying out to the Lord. And God would raise up one of these judges, a Gideon. A Barak, an Othnail, a Jephthah, like we talked about last week, a Gideon. And we're talking about Samson tonight. Now, Samson was the hero that Israel needed. For 40 years, they were subject to the Philistine rule, 40 years. Can you imagine being born and being 40 years old and still under the same rule and still under the same whip, the same chastening? of the Philistines. Some people's entire life was under that submission and dominance and cruelty. Israel had done what was evil in God's sight and God delivered them in the bond, into the bondage of the Philistines and Israel became a whipped people. The Israelites were threatened because of Samson's exploits because Samson wasn't afraid of the Philistines. He could wear them out. Anybody could pick up a jawbone of a donkey and knock out a, a thousand of them and they don't ever get back up. That's a bad man. That's a bad man. He had a backhand that's out of this world. I thought my dad's backhand was the worst I'd ever felt, but Samson must have been worse. Judges 15 says, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? They told Samson, when this is, when, 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 What then is this that you have done to us? In other words, you're, you're messing with these people. And what they, they wanted to be left alone and, le and said, Samson, you're bringing wrath of the overlords down upon us. But Israel's dilemma was their own undoing. They failed to set themselves apart to God. And to separate themselves from the uncleanness of the culture around them so they were now weakened and in bondage. Hear me. I want to preach to you right now. Anytime you let go of following Jesus Christ, anytime you quit following the Lord and start clinging to the things of this world, you're going to lose the strength that you have. Our strength is in the Lord. You hear me? Our strength is in the Lord. That's as simple as I can put it. That's as direct as I can say. Samson was God's object lesson to the Israelites. Put it up there. Through Samson, God was saying to Israel, Okay, Israel, you want to be strong? You want to be confident? You want the Philistines to fear you? The key is this. Don't get drunk like other nations. Don't touch anything unclean. And don't defile yourself with the death and decay of their way of life. By this very existence, Samson was a billboard declaring, Separate yourself. Make yourself a holy people for your God. It's very rarely that I speak on that word holiness in this church. But I'm going to do it right now. Because there has to be a separation from you and the things you used to do before you knew the Lord. 
Is anybody happy that God has delivered you from some things in your life? Is anybody happy that the things you used to do, you don't do anymore? The places you used to go, you don't feel comfortable there anymore. The people you used to run with, you don't feel comfortable with them anymore. Isn't that a great feeling? Because he said, come you out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will take you to myself. Holiness is nothing more than moral purity toward God. Saying no to the world and yes to God, that's all it is. Somebody said, well, really? Yeah, that's all it is. It really is. When Samuel came to anoint the king of Israel at Jesse's house, he lined those brothers up twice. He couldn't find a king in that bunch. And he asked Jesse, he said, do you have anybody else? I'm supposed to be here. He said, yeah, I got this kid down there in the sheepfold. He said, well, send for him. He's just a ruddy kid. Jesse was ashamed of him because Jesse probably had borne him and seen him born out of wedlock. David was a ruddy child. There's not a lot of Jewish boys that are ruddy. And he, when he came, he looked like an Australian rugby player is what he looked like. And when he came in, God said, don't look on the outward appearance. Men look there, but look on the heart. Bible says, guard your heart. For out of it are the issues of life. Are you understanding me? I'm not trying to tell you what to put on and what to watch and what to see and where to go. I'm just telling you, if the Holy Ghost says no, you need to turn yourself around and say, I'm not going down that road. I'm going to separate myself from the things of the world and I'm going to be morally pure to the things of God. Clap your hands all over this house. Superman was strong. Was it because of his cape? Was it because of what he ate? Was it because he worked out? We don't really know. But I do know Samson's strength didn't rest with his hair. His strength came from the Lord. Strength never comes by what people see. It comes by your faith in God. It comes by your faith in God. I'll never forget. I'll never forget one day you taught me the greatest lesson I've ever been taught in my life. A woman walked up to me in a revival and I was just a young preacher and God spoke to me and said, I want you to get a hold of that. This woman walked up to me and rolled up her sleeves and I saw tracks in her arms. She was a, a dopehead. She was a dope addict. And she told me she was a $500 a day dope addict. And two weeks ago she said, the Lord saved me. The Lord turned my life around. He really did. He turned my life around. And she said, you see these, I don't know how long it'll take for these to go away. I said, it doesn't matter. And the Lord said, that's good. Talk to her like that. It doesn't matter. Because what matters, it doesn't matter what tracks people see on the outside. What matters is the tracks that the Holy Ghost has made on the inside. I saw her. I saw that. Oh, I feel good tonight. I saw that lady about, about six months later at, a, at a, an encampment. I was preaching at an encampment at a camp and she came up to me, and I thought I recognized her. I really did. I thought I recognized her, but I didn't know because I'd seen a lot of people. She came up, and she said, hey, you know who I am? I said, well, I think. Help me. She goes. <laughs> and I looked, and it was like God had done surgery on those arms. 
There was no tracks anymore. She said, Pastor, I hadn't had anything in six months. I'm living for God. I'm walking in the Spirit. I love God. You hear me when I tell you, if you want to be separate from the world, you can separate yourself from the world. Say yes to God and no to the world. Say it, say it, say it. Jesus' name. Woo. Hallelujah. David wrote, the Lord is my strength. He's my shield. In him my heart trusts, so I am helped and my heart exalts. And with my song I give thanks to him. I love this. Put this on your refrigerator. Psalms chapter 33 said, a king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a vain hope for victory, and by its great might it cannot save. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Yea, our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Everybody, some men trust in horses. Say it. Some men trust in horses. Some men trust in chariots. But say, we will remember the name of the Lord. Clap your hands over your head. Say, that's our deliverer. That's our help. That's our superhero. That's just the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Like Samson, folks, our strength lies with God. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He said, I am the vine. You're the branches. If you abide in me and I in you, he, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm preaching to every self-made man tonight, every self-made woman tonight. Please drop that moniker from your life. You didn't get here without God's help. You didn't get here without God's blessing on your life. Alex Haley said if you find a turtle on a fence post, he didn't get there by himself. He had some help. Somebody had to place him there. Somebody had to balance him there. Somebody had to believe he'd stay there. Somebody put you where you are today. You didn't get here by yourself. I'm not going to look to the hills from whence cometh my help. My help don't come from the hills. My help comes from the Lord. My help comes from the Lord. The hills may have idols, but my God is my strength tonight. My God is my strength. Somebody clap your hands. It's a simple message, but we must trust in the Lord tonight. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to do it. Got to stay connected. If he doesn't abide in you and work through you, you might as well go down to Corey Redmond's, Redding's Barbershop over here called Red's and get a buzz job because you have no real strength without Jesus. Nothing lasts outside of Jesus Christ. He said, heaven and earth shall pass away. But my word will never pass away. I'm giving you his word. It's when we realize that it is in God's strength that we have an impact in our lives and that we begin to make a difference in life. 
Paul recognized that when he wrote one of my favorite passages in 2 Corinthians 12 and 10. He said, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weaknesses. I'm content with insults and hardships and, and persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And he went on to say, and everybody's put it in their ball glove for years, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Say all things. Not some things. Not, not, not almost everything. I can do all things. I can do all things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Samson had that trust for most of his life, and I'm fixing to preach a little bit now and teach a little bit, but a day came when he traded in his trust for God for a trust in himself. Let's talk. Most people think Samson lost his strength because he lost his hair. That's partly true. Samson's hair was a symbol of a very special vow, a Nazarite vow. His hair was a sign of a visible commitment to God. As soon as it was cut, it was over. He was as weak and weak as a child, but the loss of his hair was only part of what made him weak and robbed him of his strength. Was Samson's hair really the source of his strength? I mean, did God really need for Samson to have a full head of hair and give him strength? If Samson had been bald-headed like the pastor, would it have made any difference to God if he, as long as he had not cut that hair? No. We're told in Judges 16 and 20, don't be making fun of this bald head. We're told in Judges 16 and 20, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord had left him. That's the key. You see, Samson wasn't weak because his hair had been cut. He was weak because the Lord had left him. His strength came from God. His weakness came from losing his touch with God. That's why we come to church every Wednesday. That's why we come to church every Sunday. And we reach out and touch him. And understand that he is our hope and he is our help and he is our strength. And there's nobody like him. Seven days without church makes one weak. W-E-A-K, not W-E-E-K. You need to be in the house of God. I tell you as a pastor, I need to be in the house of God. There's something about coming with godly people and having fellowship and shaking hands and drinking a cup of coffee out there. That's free. And eating a cheese, a cheese uh, Danish. That's not free. And having communion and fellowship and then walking in here and Randy and the praise group takes us to another level. Judah starts plowing, praise starts plowing and breaks up the fallow ground and here comes the seed of the word of God and plants in our heart. We need that. We need that. And we don't need our seed to fall on fallow ground. We don't need to see our, our seed to fall on thorny ground. We don't need to see our seed fall on, on shallow ground. We need our seed to fall in ground that has been broken up and saying, I want the power and the word of God in my life. Because here's what I'm telling you. Moses stood on a mountain and he said, Lord, if you don't go with us, just kill me right now. I don't care about wells. I don't care about houses. I don't care about vineyards in that land. All I care about is you going with us. Somewhere in our mind, we've got to make up our mind and say, 
It doesn't matter what house I have. It doesn't matter what well I have, what vineyard I have. I want you in my life. It's about you in my life. I must have you in my life. You're my hope. You're my strength. You're my guide. Wow. 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 Loss of strength was not hair. Loss of his strength was because of something else. So if Samson's hair wasn't really the source of his weakness, what was? Was it his sexual immorality? Let's talk about it. That was part of it. Chapter 16 opens. We find Samson going to a prostitute. That ain't a good place to go if you're a man of God. Just thought I'd share that with you. Man shouldn't be visiting a house of prostitution. Not a good deal. That'll mess you up. Man of God has no business going to visit the house of ill fame. But that's what Samson did. Not just a few, now a few verses later, he's in the bedroom of another woman, a Philistine temptress named Delilah. Delilah messed him up. One commentator noted, Samson was captivated by Delilah's beauty and by lust for her. Never let it be said that if you're ever tempted, you're tempted of God. You're tempted when you're drawn away of your own lust and enticed. And when lust is finished, it bringeth forth sin. And when sin's finished, it bringeth forth death. I call that God's drug. That's, that's Satan's drug, LSD, lust, sin, and death. Here's what I'm going to tell you something. You better watch that lust problem. Day by day, he lost control. Finally, he lost all of his strength. He realized too late that he could not set himself free. He realized too late that one vital piece of his life was missing, and that was what the Bible tells us happens when it comes to sexual sin. We lose part of ourselves when we engage in immorality. Solomon writes to his sons in Proverbs 5, 1 through 11. You want to go home and read this. My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Solomon was an old man when he wrote this. Listen well to my words. That you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of the adulteress drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to the death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. I'm preaching right now. Her paths are crooked but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep to the path far from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Sexual sin does not just wipe out giants like Samson. It will destroy your strength as well. Whether it's watching porn videos or looking at sexual magazines and suggestive TV programs, exposing ourselves to the internet pornography, or just checking the girls out, just going to the mall and looking at them. My brother-in-law was in New York City not long ago, and he almost got in a fight with a guy. Brett's a pretty big old boy. I don't think he could last over about three minutes, so he'd have to do the job real quick. But there was a guy there on Times Square that was taking pictures, suggestive pictures of girls sitting there at Times Square. He had a camera, and he would catch a girl 
maybe moving this way or that way, and he would come by. He'd walk by and take a picture of her top. He'd make take a picture down here under the table of her legs. And Brett walked over to him, and he said, if you don't want to eat that camera, he said, who are you, the cops? He said, no, I'm somebody bigger than the cop. It made him mad. He said, he said, R.D., it's what he called him. He said, R.D., that's like my daughter sitting there. Those girls were innocent, and he was there just as a predator. Let me tell you something. There is a spirit in this world that does not belong in the people of God. Job said, I made a covenant with mine eyes not to look lustfully at a girl. You need to make covenants. Many men dally with their own Delilahs, and they face the risk of losing their spiritual strength. Oftentimes, men convince themselves that those things don't hurt them. They can handle it. They're just being guys, but that's wrong. Paul said, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Say amen to that. I didn't, I'm just a messenger. I'm sorry. Now, what does it mean? Sexual sin is like a cancer. It eats away at the very essence of our being, the moral fiber of our lives. It may look healthy, but inside we're diseased and weakened, easy targets for Satan and primed for destruction. How serious is sexual sin to us? Well, with other sins, the Bible gives us substitute, to substitute a godly trait for the sin, but not with sexual sin. Every time the word talks about sexual temptation, the scripture says, flee. Keep your path far from it. Don't go near its door. Don't look back and don't desire its beauty with your eyes. That's what you do when it comes to sexual temptation. Pastor, are you dealing with things in the church? I always do. And there's many times that I have passed up preaching things like this that I needed to preach. But come on, guys, I believe in you. Come on, ladies, I believe in you. I'm not shooting at anybody tonight. I'm just preaching the gospel here tonight. I'm just preaching the gospel. I want you to be strong men and women. I want your kids that you're raising to be strong men and women. I want them to understand that there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is the way of death. But God has a great path for our kids to walk, a great path for our grandkids to walk. And my job is not over. I've got grandkids now that I've got to put on the right path. It's important I place them there. Say amen to that. Amen. I'm almost through. Wow. There's no other way to deal with sexual temptation. There was an old minister on the radio one day. I heard him. The call came in. The young man asked the old minister, how old do you have to be to not feel sexual temptation? The old man replied, well, I'm only 82. You'll have to ask somebody older than me. Another pastor said to me years ago, he would feel safe from temptation when he was six feet under, dead and gone. Only then. So it's not like that I'm preaching to you and I don't face the same thing. We all face temptation. But God is our strength. God is our refuge. God is our help. He is there for us now. So Samson's weakness was called by his sexual sin, yes, but not entirely. In Judges 16, 1 through 3, Samson had gone into a prostitute. He had sinned sexually. 
but he could still tear out a city gate and carry it 40 miles away that weighed seven tons. He sinned sexually and still had strength. It's also worth noting that when Samson performed this great feat of strength, it does not say the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Every other time Samson displayed his might, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, but not this time because God's Spirit would not compete with Samson's sin at Gaza. So here I'm telling you, when you feel like you might be running on empty, check your morality valve, okay? Make sure that you're full of the oil of the Holy Ghost and that God is leading and directing your life. Clap your hands and say, thanks, Pastor, for preaching to us right now. So what was it that destroyed the strongest man in history? What was his kryptonite? I close. It was his pride. It was his pride. It was Samson's pride in his physical power to just whip about anybody that challenged him. It was Samson's pride in his position as a leader in Hebrew society. It was his pride in his ability and prowess that led him to believe he could get away with whatever he wanted to do. It was his pride that led him to believe it was all right to visit a prostitute. It was his pride that led him to believe that he could maintain an ungodly relationship with a Philistine woman named Delilah that kept him in her bedroom night after night, even after she was plotting to betray him. Samson's physical strength became his source of weakness. His power became the source of his pride. He never lost a fight. No one ever defeated him. He was a man of power and prestige. Other men of power and prestige have suffered the same problem. Richard Nixon President of the United States a long time ago said if the president does it, it can't be illegal. He said that. Clinton's preacher declared, I'm going to get on the Democrats and Republicans tonight, so you Democrats, here I come. Clinton's preacher declared sexual immorality doesn't automatically render a leader immoral. Really? That's what his preacher said. Man, that guy needs help. And the California congressman Condit told Connie Chung, sure I make mistakes, but essentially I'm a moral man. Samson lived with the same philosophy. It was his pride. It really was, based on his belief in his own strength that brought him down. It was his pride that told him, I can get away with it. But Proverbs 16 and 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. God warns us in 1 Corinthians, let he who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Our pride is that can lead us to look at ourselves when we need strength. Our pride that ma- it's our pride that makes us lean on our own understanding when we face with temptation. It's our pride that, we can make us, that make us look anywhere but to God when we have to make a decision. And it's pride that can lead us into bondage and pain in our life. I close with a story tonight. Pride, pride, pride. My pastor used to tell me, he's 86 years old, he had a birthday April the 15th and he's, not doing well, but he used to tell me, he said, son, I'm going to write a book one day on humility. And he said, when you open the book, it's going to be a blank page. I don't really know how. I just know that when I place God first in my life, when he is on the throne, I carry my cross. When I'm on the throne, he carries the cross. I must put Christ on the throne of my life. Preacher once told about an incident of his life. He had received a notice from his 13-year-old son's school announcing a meeting to preview a new course on sexuality. And the parents could examine the curriculum and take part in an actual lesson presented exactly as it would be given to the students. And when he arrived at the school, he thumbed through the page 
of instructions, page after page, on the prevention of pregnancy or disease. He found abstinence mentioned only in passing. It wasn't hardly mentioned in the program. And when the teacher arrived with the school nurse, she asked if there was any question. The preacher raised his hand. He asked why abstinence did not play a noticeable part in the material. What happened next was shocking. There was a great deal of laughter. And someone suggested that if he thought abstinence had any merit, he might consider going back and burying his head in the sand because abstinence was done. The teacher explained to him the job of the school was to teach facts and the home was responsible for moral teaching. I agree with that. He said in embarrassed silence for the next 20 minutes as the course was explained and the other parents seemed to give their unqualified support for the material. Donuts are in the back, announced the teacher during the break. I'd like you to put on the name tags we have prepared. They're right by the donuts and mingle with the other parents. And everyone moved to the back of the room. And as he watched them putting on their name tags and shaking hands, he said in deep thought, he was ashamed that he had not been able to convince them to include a serious discussion on abstinence in the material. He uttered a silent prayer for guidance. His thoughts were interrupted by a teacher's hand on his shoulder. Won't you go and join the others, Pastor? The nurse smiled and sweetly said, The donuts are good. Thank you, ma'am. But no, he replied. Well, then, how about a name tag? I'm sure the others would like to meet you. Somehow I doubt that, he replied. Would you please join them, she coaxed. Then he heard a still, small voice whisper, Don't go. The instruction was unmistakable. Don't go. Sit here. I'll just wait here, he said. And when the class was called back to order, the teacher looked around the long table and thanked everyone for putting on the name tags. Now, we're going to give you a same lesson we're going to give your children, she said. Everyone should peel off their name tags. And he watched in silence as the name tags came off. And now then, on the back of one of the tags, I drew a tiny flower. Who has it? Please raise your hand. And a gentleman across the room held up his hand. He said, here it is. And she said, all right. The flower represents sexual disease. Do you recall whose hands you shook during the meeting? He pointed to a couple of people. Very good. The handshake in this case represents intimacy. So the two people who had contact with you now have the disease. There was laughter and joking among the parents. The teacher continued, and whom did the two of you shake hands with? And the point was well taken and well given. And she exclaimed how this lesson should show students how quickly disease is spread. Since we all have shaken hands, we all have the disease, she said. It was then the preacher wrote that he heard a still small voice again said speak now but be humble he said I apologize that I upset many of you and caused some problems earlier and I want to congratulate the teacher on an excellent lesson that I'm sure will impress the youth with the terrible consequences of sexual promiscuity however I have only one small point I wish to make not all of us are infected today some of us he said abstained Hard lesson to teach. Hard lesson to teach. But I will tell you this. Samson's problem was more than his hair. It was responding to the touch of God. It was getting away from immorality in his life. And it was not allowing pride to get in his heart. And all three of those things happened. Here's what I want to tell you. His end was not good but he did put his hands on the pillars and push them down and he killed more in his death than he ever did in his living he killed 3,000 plus people that day 
when the temple fell. I believe Samson got it right with God. Because when they plucked out his eyes and they put him at the meal grinding, he said, God, just one more time. Just this once. Let me feel your presence just one more time. Just one more time. And God let it happen. And a blind man whose hair began to grow again pushed on the pillars and the walls came down. And Samson is in Hebrews 11, the heroes of faith. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 said, If we confess our sin, say amen to that. Amen. He is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Everybody say, The blood of Jesus, blood of Jesus. Cleanses, us cleanses us from all sin. I'm not asking people to stand tonight and say, Pastor, I'm wrestling with sexual problems. I'm not asking people to stand tonight and say, Pastor, I've made mistakes morally. I'm not asking that, but I do have a right to teach that. And you need a pastor that loves you enough to present that. I've been to college. I fought the demons. I know what it is to resist and face temptation. I know what it is to resist and fight the forces of evil. Some people think that I'm bubble wrap because I'm a preacher. No. No, I'm not. But I know one thing. I've got to rely on the Lord. The moment I think I can do this without Him, I may lift some great gates and go to yonder hill, but it'll wear out after a while. I must have Jesus in my life. I must not let pride get into my preaching. I must understand that it's by His will, not my will, that this thing gets done. I must understand, I must understand that God has to be my portion. God has to be my portion. He really does. 1991, his name was Irvin. Irvin Johnson, we called him Magic. He confessed to having AIDS. He was not allowed to play ball anymore. In fact, he took himself out of the game. And he confessed. Irvin Johnson's been on a quest since 1991, some 24 years ago. He's a 58-year-old man today. And now he's a different man. Because he saw the evil of his ways. And now, with his business, he helps inner city kids to see the light. He helps people. He helps churches. He helps foundations. Because God allowed Magic Johnson to repent and find his way back to the fold of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. Because you've messed up don't mean your life is over. Because you have failed God doesn't mean your life is over. But you can't resist the presence of God. There's a power in His presence. There's a grace in His presence. There's a hope in His presence. There's a peace in His presence that passes all understanding. Aren't you glad that the super judge got it right before he left this world? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God Almighty can make things right in your life? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad the prodigal son came home? Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you happy the boy got up out of the hog pen and said, I'm going home to my father? Aren't you glad of that? The story's got a great ending, but we must fight the good fight of faith. We've got to do that. We must do that. We must do that. Stand to your feet all over the building tonight. Amen. Everybody say, God, 
can use anyone. Samson fought a lot of stuff in his life. But God used him to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Yes, he did. And God can use your life. Pastor, are you looking for perfection? No, no, no. We'll never be perfect in our flesh. But we can have the presence of God in our life. And when spirit lives, flesh gets weak. When flesh lives, spirit gets weak. Let's have a strong spiritual encounter with Jesus Christ every morning. Amen? In the morning, get up and say, God, I, I'm going to face temptation today. There's things going to happen today, but you're going to give me strength. You're going to help me today, God. Pastor said I could have that help. And for 45 years in the ministry, God has given me that help. Every day, God's given me that help. Now, I'm not anything to look at either, but it's all right. But God has given me that help. Because if there's anything the devil wants, he wants the leadership of the church. He wants strong men in this church. He wants strong ladies in this church. He wants the people that have just found Christ in this church. He wants to make an example of you, how you didn't maintain what God has put into your heart and life. But hold up your hand and say, by the grace of God, I will finish what God has started in my life. Hallelujah. He is able to keep that that I've committed unto him against that day. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.